0: So tonight I want to talk a little bit more about letting go, and what it means to let go. In some ways it's a little bit of a continuation from Eugene's talk last night of dropping in, letting go into the mystery. But I think there's so much to explore around this concept of letting go, because these are considered, these teachings are considered the path of letting go or the path of renunciation. It's the, the essential aspect of what these teachings are about. So I think we continually need to look into what does it mean to let go? Because I think there's a lot of misconceptions. In some ways, it's... <laughs> understanding letting go in a very deep and profound way is the the ultimate and final release Mm -hmm. the final letting go where we open to that which is indescribable that which there aren't really any names for so what is this letting go I'm gonna start off with um, telling you a little story about um, something that happened on a a retreat Uh, I was teaching in Canada an eight-day retreat I think it was last year and there was a woman who was sitting that retreat she was fairly new to practice and she was struggling she was having a hard time and she really couldn't figure out why she should stay now that we have entered the 21st century, a lot of people have their cell phones with them. And there's even a more modern uh, technology that I'm not even up to scratch with yet, which is called text messaging. And uh, I think it's much more popular in Europe than it is here, unless I'm just really out of it, I don't know but I don't know many people who do text messaging, but in Europe a lot of people do. So this woman decided she was going to send a text message to one of her friends to, to get some feedback about why she should stay on the retreat. And so she typed in and she said there's only 160 characters. So she had to figure out what the question was going to be in 160 characters so she could get some feedback about why she should stay at this retreat. So this is what she typed in to the text. She said to her friend who had sat a retreat and was the one who actually encouraged her to sit this retreat, <laughs> who she was having some uh, 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 resistance towards anyhow because why did she encourage her to sit the retreat. So she wrote down, she wrote, she typed into the text, she said, hi, I'm on retreat and don't know why. Why should I stay? That was 160 characters. So it was very concise. So then she thought, if I actually send this message, it's going to upset my friend. She's going to think, oh, you know, it wasn't a good idea to send me to the retreat, and she's going to be really troubled, and, and she can only send a text message back, and she can only have 160 characters for her reply, and she didn't want to upset her. So she decided not to send it. And then a couple of days went by, and she was still bored and still re- re- restless, and so she decided to check her messages just for something to do. You know, a little entertainment. Um, and so she was going through her messages and she came upon there weren't really any new many new messages but she came upon a message that she had stored and it said do not be sure of any perceptions you have and it struck her in a way that that was the answer to her question why should I stay and her answer, which she had typed in to the cell phone as a reminder for herself, which is a quote from Thich Nhat Han, she said, helped her wake up. It was like, yeah, do not be sure of any perception you have, and it just she just kind of went, oh yeah. I'm believing my mind, and I'm believing what's happening, and I'm getting caught in this experience, and I'm getting so identified. And it just woke her up, her own message to herself. So I thought that was very interesting that the 21st century (laughs) is actually delivering these Dharma teachings back, can deliver these Dharma teachings back to us, and actually help us to stay on the retreat, at least in her case. Do not be sure of any perception you have. What a very pithy teaching. So when we're exploring this letting go, I think one of the ways that we get caught is that we believe the perceptions that we have. We believe the way that our minds are creating these stories. We've been talking about this, the stories about who I am and the experiences that I'm having and what I should be doing and how it should be. Last night in Eugene's talk, he was saying let go of your expectations. Let go of your ideas, of your evaluations, of." Of your perceptions of the way you think things are and when we say yeah you know I'd like I want to let go I want to let go and we have an idea in our mind about what the experience of letting go is like and we can easily get caught again because we get identified with our idea about what the experience of letting go is like, and then we think that we're not actually letting go, and then we get caught again. It's like we get caught in that cycle. Gill was talking about the restless mind versus the spacious mind. And we see, yeah, you know, we want the spacious mind. We don't want the restless mind. You know, we have the preferences for that kind of spacious mind, which we think that's the mind of letting go. You know, not restless mind. And then we hear these teachings. Uh, one, one teaching we, we hear a lot is the, the, the line that says, the great way is for those who have let go of their preferences. And we go, yeah, well, I have a lot of preferences. I see my preferences arising in you know, every other moment. You know, so I have a long way to go before I'm on the path of the great way. And we can see that if we have some uh, so-called attachment or uh, 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 preferences, a uh, way we want things to be, this is a real uh, playground for the judge to arise. That, that uh, ego that says, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just let go? Why do you keep holding on? Are you, you so stupid? You can't figure out how to do this practice? just let go, let go, you know, and then we say, well, but I'm, you know, I'm such a failure, I can't let go, and we get into these dialogues with ourselves, and we get caught in this whole kind of uh, 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 dynamic with this judging mind that says let go, and we can't let go, and we can't figure it out, and all can get very, very confusing. It seems like any kind of a unwelcomed experience, like, um, if we have some kind of painful experience or or we feel confused or some kind of unpleasant unwanted experience or we're bored or we feel contracted or stuck or whatever kind of an experience we think we're having that we want to let go of and we can't let go of it, it becomes prime ground for us to judge ourselves, to get down on ourselves and think that we're doing something wrong. It's so easy, it's such a setup for our mind to perceive our experience in a particular way and think that it should be otherwise, think it should be more, think it should be better, think it should be different. But when we tell ourselves to let go, does it work? It doesn't work anyhow. We want to, but we can't. And we would let go if we could. We know that deeply in our heart. We know we'd let go if we could. I think that when we hit up against our ability to let go in the way that we have an idea about what that means, and we feel this contraction and we blame ourselves for this in some way, I think that maybe we haven't looked deeply enough at what it really means to let go. Because I don't think that the I, who wants to let go, can let go. I don't think that the letting go is the responsibility of this I, or this I that is the small, limited self, of who I take myself to be. Because that I will have all kinds of ideas and expectations about what experience is supposed to be happening, happen, happening and what I'm supposed to be moving into. I don't think it's that I, the small self, that really has the wisdom to know. I think that this idea that I need to let go puts too much responsibility on this small sense of ourself. Letting go is a byproduct of clear seeing. It's a byproduct of wisdom. Letting go happens by itself when we wake up, when we wake up to the pain of holding on, when we can really feel and know deeply the experience of clinging and holding on. There are so many layers of identification, so many layers of confusion As we go deeper, deeper into our practice, we keep hitting up against those layers. And in those places, the wisdom has not penetrated yet. And so, of course, we're still holding on. We don't know better. We haven't seen clearly yet. It is only the wisdom of this clear seeing which allows for the letting go to happen. And what happens is that we keep trying from this place of what I want, what I think should happen, from this sense of the small self, or we call it the ego, the egoistic position of what needs to happen. And that isn't where it's going to happen from. The example has been used I think by the Buddha that we it's as if we're holding a burning coal in our hand and we don't know that the coal is hot and it's burning but the coal is burning and as soon as we realize that it's hot and it's burning our hand we go drop it there's no thought about, well, should I drop it? Shouldn't I drop it? Should I figure out a way to let it go? It's like it's gone. We drop it as soon as it's known. When we don't know that we're holding on and that we're identified to these different layers of our uh, uh, confusion, we act out of these old habits which bring about unconscious ways of being. We don't even, we're not conscious at all, and, and the painful thing is that we do judge ourselves for these ways of being, which is, you know, when we really see it, it's so painful to know that we do that, that human beings judge themselves for things they cannot even change, they cannot even do differently, as if it's my fault, or, or I'm doing something wrong, I'm wrong in some way, It's really such a tragedy of our human predicament. There was a yogi today who was really seeing this in her experience, and she said she really saw how her mind was busy with finding ways to, and she had a whole list of things, she said, finding ways that will bring an end to my suffering, or finding ways that will make me free, or finding ways that will bring me love, or... Or finding ways that will give me acknowledgement, and that her mind just kept getting busy looking for solutions that are going to bring uh, a resolution to, to the end of these things, the end of the suffering, or the or the the, the the awakening of the freedom. As if the mind, as if the mind could find this resolution somehow. And we talked together and we saw that these, this busyness of the mind, even though in this case it was fairly a subtle busyness, she was feeling that restlessness, that inner restlessness that Gil was talking about. And she, and we saw together that these ideas of that these things had to happen were somehow overriding the exquisiteness of the present moment experience, that the mind would Override, looking for something else, looking for love, or looking for the end of free, end of suffering, or looking for ways to be free. The movement of the mind itself was actually overriding that beautiful, tender, exquisite quality that was manifesting right in the present moment, even right in the vibration of the restlessness. And so she found herself lying in the sun and just wanting to feel the warmth on her heart, the warmth of the sun on her heart, not moving out of that intimate experience with herself. And I asked her, how, how did she support herself to stay with this? And she said, all I could do was just say, love, love, love. Just reminding herself to stay in love with the experience so beautiful, so exquisite, that wanting that connection with the, the, the tenderness, the intimacy with the present moment just as it is, not letting the mind pull her out as minds do, moving of the movement of the mind, pulling us out into some idea, some expectation some way that we think we should be somehow it's not okay right here sometimes we can be the energy can be stronger and we want to push through it's almost a pushing through the experience not just a a subtle kind of restlessness but a, a pushing through the experience I need to make this different I need to make this better And sometimes, and I've known in my own experience, that need can feel somewhat desperate. I need something other than what is here. It's like I can't be with this. It's so wrong. It's so bad somehow. And I just just feel the pain of that desperation. And sometimes it's just a quiet kind of efforting, as this woman was describing, just a, a quiet something else, something else, something else. And because of the wisdom, the presence of this wisdom, the wisdom was saying, just this, love. Love this. Love this, just as it is. And I was so touched by that, that the mantra of love. Love. That love that just pushed her back. So sometimes we say, Instead of letting go, sometimes the letting go can almost seem like too much. It's like it's the I that wants to let go. So the words letting go don't really work for us. We already know. We can feel that there's some effort in that. There's some overriding in that. There's some pushing in that when we say let go. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we encourage people, and you've also used in your own practice the words let it be. So instead of let it go, say, okay, let it be. And those words of letting be have a way of kind of dropping us a bit back more into experience, present moment experience, instead of the letting go, which can kind of pull us out somewhat. But the letting be, just dropping in, which can be, those words can be a, a support for the wisdom to arise. Let it be. John Lennon, let it be, right? Famous words for us, for this generation. So it drops us into acceptance, into a place of non doing. Even when we find ourselves caught, even when we find ourselves in these more difficult mind states and emotions and unpleasant experiences, okay, let it be, let it be. And this acceptance can be and is the first step in the real letting go, in the letting go that happens through wisdom. It's coming into a place of acceptance of the experience. And as we drop into that place, it, it, it has a way of stopping that fight, stopping the conflict, that, the internalized conflict of thinking that we have to move into something else. It's like, ah, oh, okay, let it be. And in that acceptance and in that letting go of the conflict, there's, a, there's the possibility for the clear seeing. And in the clear seeing is the possibility for the wisdom to arise, the wisdom of the, of, the, of the insight into the holding on, the insight into the clinging, the insight into wanting things to be otherwise. And it's there where we can begin to apply the wisdom of our insights and we can begin to let the the old habits drop away where they're not being reinforced through the identification and they begin to lose their power and as they lose their power there's more possibility for the wisdom to arise. Last March I was sitting uh, for a month at the Forest Refuge, the new Intensive Retreat Center on the East Coast that's in back of the Insight Meditation Society. It was the inaugural retreat for uh, the opening of that center and uh, Joseph Goldstein who is the uh, primary um, benefactor and, and a founder of that center invited the, the teachers to have an opportunity to sit for a month or two months at the center. And so I, I went and I was really, really grateful for going. And, um, and I, I, I had a lot of expectations <laughs> about sitting at this beautiful new center that was built exclusively for intensive practice, for self retreat, uh, not group retreat, but for people to do individual self retreat for long periods of time for a month, for six months, for a year. There are people who are there for a year now, just doing intensive practice. The difficulty was that this was really the first month that the the center was opening, and it was spanking new. And with any spanking new center, there's a lot of glitches and a lot of things that need to be worked out. And so, in my room, um, which I was intending to do quite a lot of sitting, uh, because, of course, there's no schedule on this kind of retreat. You just find your own rhythm. And I like doing a lot of uh, practice in my room when I'm doing this kind of retreat. And, and um, about, well, actually, the first night I was there, there was some knocking on my wall, just knocking, kind of knocking, you know, that kind of knocking. And I thought, oh, my neighbor she must be, you know, knocking her elbows or something against the wall, not knowing that she's, you know, making some noise, so I actually, the the silence had already started, this was, and I actually went over and knocked on her door, and I said, there's some knocking coming through on the wall, perhaps there's some way that you're knocking something, and I just want you to know that's happening, and of course, she just bowed, and actually actually she was an ordained nun (laughs) so she bowed to me and then and then just acknowledged that and I went back to my room and then the knocking just kind of continued and then the next day the knocking continued and then it would come and go at different times and I didn't really I knew it couldn't have been her because obviously an ordained nun would be more sensitive and then the then the uh, air vent that was outside the hall started whizzing underneath my door, and so there was this sound that would just kind of come, and then after about a week, there was a pipe that went right in between the two rooms that I guess was some kind of water pipe that just started whooshing so loud, it was as if I was at an airport. And it was just like, it was louder than airplanes that are landing. It was just whooshing through. And it would just kind of come and go at different times of the day and night. And it started kind of feeling like this sleeping dragon. And I never knew when it would come. And I would sit sometimes and think, this is louder than it when I'm home. And... There was there was really a very interesting relationship to all this, as you can imagine, because I had a certain degree of expectations about how quiet it was going to be and how much concentration practice I was going to be able to do. And I noticed that there was a certain amount of anxiety, agitation that was arising. It's not supposed to be like this. This is this is the forest refuge. This is supposed to be the quietest place ever, you know, for concentration practice. So noticing my mind wanting to get into battles with the uh, caretakers and the executive directors and, you know, Joseph Goldstein and, you know, and just really watching that whole unfolding and what was I going to do with all of that? So it became my practice. My practice shifted from the, you know, the, ability, the possibility of perhaps having you know, really deep concentration for those first few weeks to really having to work with equanimity and letting be. Letting it be, letting it be, letting it be, <laughs> letting it be. The sounds, the expectations, the wanting, the inability to get as concentrated as I want. It was a very different retreat than I had anticipated it actually got worse in the middle two-week period. And then it started being down in the, in the hallways, in the walking rooms. It was like the whole place just turned into this airport. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then the last week it started calming down. And I just have to put in a word here. It's not like that now. It's not, this is not a bad rap for the forest refuge. It has all been worked through and I was just there in, in November and uh, in January and it's beautifully quiet. <laughs> they did get the kinks out. But it was very interesting to work with the letting be, letting it be. And it, 15 years before, 20 years before, I would have got caught up in my aversion my blame, my judgment, and I, and I know it's changed. I know how it was then. So there was the ability, there was the wisdom that supported the insight into let it be, let it go. It doesn't have to be any different. It's equanimity practice now, equanimity practice. So sometimes letting go, sometimes letting be, dropping in to the exquisiteness, whatever form, formation that exquisiteness is taking, even if it's unpleasant sensation at the ear door, unpleasant thoughts arising and passing in the mind door, exquisite. How exquisite that it's like this. Even letting it be also needs to be looked into deeply so that we don't get caught with that one either. Because sometimes if we keep saying let it be, let it be, let it be, that can lead us into some passivity where we're actually not applying some skillful uh, action that needs to happen in our practice. I've seen this happen with people who are too much, they are too much caught in let it be and not enough in skillful means and application. There are times in our practice where it's not skillful to let it be. And we need to bring some wisdom to these patterns one of these patterns that we can't just let it be is judging when judging arises in the mind it's not just let it be let it be sometimes we have to work much more actively with these judgments sometimes the judgments just take hold they take they take they have a grip in the mind and if we just let it be they'll just it'll just whip us around like uh, you know uh, by but like we're it'll just keep whipping us around and we'll get caught in it so sometimes we have to be very firm with the judging mind with anger sometimes we can't just let it be let it be let it be we have to apply the wisdom of our insights or anger will just take us and whip us around and if we act out of that energy it can be very harmful It can be very damaging and destructive. So we need to apply the wisdom of our insights on how to work with anger, which we learn over time. We need to use restraint so that that energy doesn't grip us. And other forces of greed and and hatred, we will fall under the grip of their power if we're not skillful with these. It's not just let it be. The way that greed takes over the mind. You know, let it be can sometimes just seem like we just follow it, you know. Let it be, it just takes over, you know. One place that we cannot let it be is when the mind gets depressed. When the mind starts to fall into difficult states where the depression uh, and the identification that happens in the depression grips the consciousness. And if we let it be, we can just fall as if we're falling into a vortex and fall into a black hole and get caught by the force of that depression. We can't just let it be. And I think this is one of the areas where we have to be most active in our practice and bring a quite a lot of wisdom to our practice. I've seen so many times people who had uh, strong patterns of depression who were practicing letting be and they would just fall into the hole again and again and again. And so our practice When we talk about letting go and we talk about wisdom as that which uh, supports the letting go wisdom means also knowing how to apply skillful means in our practice that we know how to draw on a number of different tools on a number of different practices jack gave a whole bunch of uh, uh, suggestions and um, Uh, descriptions of different paths and different practices which all contribute to a way of applying uh, skillful means in our practice. I think as wisdom uh, supports the opening and the letting go, all that's really left for us to do is to apply skillful means. It's not that we don't do anything because sometimes this letting be the letting go, kind of the letting be kind of mentality can really give us a sense that we kind of go more and more into the non doing mind or the where we're not, nothing's really happening mind. We're let go in that respect. That's not wise a lot of the time. The practice teaches us how to take care of ourselves. It teaches us how to have a sense of what's needed in any given moment, how to respond appropriately to what's happening. And that's actually maturity in the practice. As we mature, we know more. Uh, skillfully how to work with the judgments how to work with the forces of greed and, and 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 hatred and confusion we know how to work with the difficult patterns of our of our history and our past that give rise to depression and agitation and uh, uh, different difficult states that we work with so we draw on this doing f- supported in wisdom that supports the Letting go. Not the the idea of the small self, which can really create so much havoc for us. The small self that, that gets caught in its ideas about who I should be and where I should go and what should be happening. One skillful means that can help us open to all experience and come into a deeper intimacy intimacy with ourselves, that I would like to bring forth this evening, is setting an intention for us in our practice. And the intention would sound like this. I will have an attitude of openness to all of life whether experience is pleasant or unpleasant. Setting that intention in the mind, I will have an attitude of openness to all of life, whether experience is pleasant or unpleasant. I will not perceive any experience as my enemy. What happens... When you let that in, what happens for you? When you when you reflect on and you, and you hold for a moment that intention, I will not perceive any experience as my enemy. I will be open to all experience. I think it's a radical shift to that... One who wants experience to be a particular way. And it can have the potential of dropping us into some place within ourselves where that small I is not operating. I will have an attitude of openness. Because from that small sense of ourself, we're usually hoping that nothing will go wrong, whatever wrong is. And that position is a defensive position, where we need to hold things together so things won't go wrong. It reminds me of uh, when my, I was with my niece when she was small, and we were at an amusement park together and we were going on a roller coaster and um, she was about 10 years old and and we were going up and up and up and up and up and as we started to get to the top she said hold your breath she just said hold your breath and I thought hold your breath so you don't feel anything hold your breath so you won't have the experience hold your breath so you can completely shut this whole thing out and that's what we do. We ho- hold your breath. And you won't have to feel it as you come down over the, over the falls. Mm-hmm. We have that position. We don't want anything to go wrong. And there's a fear that if we open to it all, that actually that attitude will invite more pain into our lives, that will actually experience more pain. Do you get that? It's like, oh, but if I really open, it's just going to be more painful. And somehow there's, there's a, I think there's a a way that the mind gets twisted in that idea. But I think there's two reasons why this isn't true. One is, I think it's another self-centered view. Because it reinforces the idea, again, that I'm responsible f- somehow for what comes into my life, that, uh, that I invite the pain in and I can keep it out. It's somehow that I can control this. And it's also superstitious, thinking that somehow I can maintain that band of control in my experience. Can we? Does that defensive position really help at all? Actually, the opposite is true. As I open, it doesn't mean that the difficulty will increase. It's actually this welcoming attitude that frees the mind and frees the heart. Because as I welcome, I'm not bound up in the fear and the contraction. And it is only the fear and the contraction that feels so difficult. Not the openness. The openness is what we are longing for. This is really our source of strength. This is... Where we will find our inner stability is in the openness. This is where we find that ground that is reliable. It's this welcoming attitude that is the wisdom that increases our capacity to meet life, to meet it directly. So this welcoming attitude is encouraged, even if we feel that we're not up for the task, to try it. See what happens. This is from one of the great teachers, Pierre Viliat Khan. He says, Overcome any bitterness that may have come because you were not up to the magnitude of the pain that was entrusted to you. Like the mother of the world who carries the pain of the world in her heart, each one of us is part of her heart and therefore endowed with a certain measure of cosmic pain. You are sharing in the totality of that pain. You are called on to meet it with joy instead of self-pity. Like the mother of the world who carries the pain of the world in her heart, each one of us is part of her heart and therefore endowed with a certain measure of cosmic pain. Whether we want to be or not. Another yogi told me She's reflecting back on her history. She said, I was never allowed to feel pain when I was growing up. And she said, now I see, I really understand that if somebody says to me, I'm hurt, and is open about that, then I can feel my vulnerability in the face of that person's hurt. And that's what allows my compassion to flow out of my heart. And that was completely cut off when I was growing up. I couldn't feel that vulnerability. I I never really felt that compassion. And now I, I welcome people saying, I'm hurt. I'm in pain. She said, it's just, oh, I love that feeling now. And she said, when I feel that pain, it's just my particular flavor of dukkha. Just my particular flavor of dukkha. So much wisdom there. It's in this way that the I doesn't need to take the responsibility for finding a way to fix the situation. Wisdom says, let go. These are the words from a Tibetan Rinpoche. There is nothing that has to be done about whatever is happening in this moment. And there is nothing that has to be undone. From another Tibetan Rinpoche, profound and tranquil, free from complexity, uncompounded, luminous clarity. This is the depth of mind of the awakened ones. In this there is not a thing to be removed, nor is there anything to be added. It is merely the immaculate looking naturally at itself. Nothing that needs to be removed. Nothing that needs to be added. The wisdom of letting go. Who is letting go? And what are we letting go of? I think the only thing that we need to let go of is clinging on to this idea of a limited self. That idea that disconnects us from our true nature where our deep wisdom abides, that wisdom that tells me that I am nothing, and where love tells me I am everything, and I am connected to all things. And as this letting go happens, we are dropped into trust, because something is happening. Whether we let go or we don't let go, we let it be or we don't let it be, something is happening. I want to read this from Antonio Machado. I think it's a beautiful description, in a way, of what's happening, whether we let go or we don't let go. Last night as I lay sleeping... I dreamt, marvelous as ever, that there was a spring breaking out inside of my heart. I said, along what secret aqueducts are you coming to me, O water, water of a new life that I have never tasted? Last night, as I lay sleeping, I dreamt, marvelous as ever, that there was a beehive inside my heart, a beehive, And the golden bees were making white combs and sweet honey out of all my old failures. Last night, as I lay sleeping, I dreamt, marvelous as ever, that there was a fiery sun inside of my heart. It was fiery because it gave warmth as if from a a hearth. And it was the sun because it gave light and brought tears to my eyes. Last night as I lay sleeping, I dreamt, marvelous as ever, that there was God, Allah, Creator, here inside of my heart. Is my soul asleep? Have those bees that labored by night stopped? And the waterwheel of thought, the cups empty, wheeling and carrying on the sh- shadows? No, my soul is not asleep. It is awake, wide awake. It neither sleeps nor dreams, but watches. Its clear eyes open for far-off things and listens at the shores of the great silence. No, my soul is not asleep. And so we trust And I suppose this is the wisdom of the letting go, the trust. Trust that is all happening. Can we get out of the way? I'd like to end with this poem from T.S. Eliot. I said to my soul, be still and wait without hope, for hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Wait without love, for love would be love of the wrong thing. Still there is faith, but the faith and the hope and the love are all in the waiting. Wait without thought, for you are not yet ready for thought. And then the darkness shall be light, and the stillness the dancing. Let's sit for a few minutes together. know my soul is not asleep it is awake wide awake it neither sleeps nor dreams but watches its clear eyes open for far off things and listens at the shores of the great silence thank you